you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Romans chapter 12. We'll be in Romans chapter 12. We're continuing our Romans series. And if you don't have a Bible, we've put some under the chair. So I encourage you to grab one of those. Uh, Those black Bibles you'll see down there will be on page 948. Page 948, Romans chapter 12. Uh, In this last section of Romans, we're dealing with all the kind of day-to-day behavioral issues, how we are to interact with each other as Christians. So 11 chapters of doctrine and really looking at God's grace to us in Jesus. And so now after 11 chapters of look at all the grace that God has given to us in Jesus, how he's adopted us into his family, how he's shown love to us. Now it's like, how, do, how does that work out in daily life? So now chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, we're going to finish this out this summer. And we're going to be seeing what that looks like as we interact with each other. We've studied a lot about how God is bringing this new tribe of believers together from every different ethnic group, right? And when he brings together people from different backgrounds, and when we were raised in different ways, and we grew up in different cities, and we have uh, different ethnicities and different traditions, and then we come together and try to be one in Christ, there's going to be some friction, because we're going to have different preferences, and we're going to see things differently. And so Paul's going to talk a lot about how do we actually get along? How do we actually love each other? So this week, uh, we're calling it Real Love. Uh, The key word, the first verse of this section in verse 9 is genuine love or sincere love. And that that word literally in the Greek is not mask wearing, right? It's not uh, hypocrisy is the Greek word. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't wear a mask. It comes from the acting world, first century theater. They didn't really have film, right? But they would have theater and drama and they would wear masks. And so the idea is we're not loving each other as if it's this fake mask that we're wearing, but we're really loving each other, right? What does it look like to really love someone and not just a a role you're stepping into? When I was a kid, we had a dress-up box. I was the youngest of three kids, and so we had like all their old mangy Halloween costumes in a box. And I used to love dressing up. I used to love to pretend I was something that I wasn't. And what Paul's saying here is, going back to verse 1 last week, we won't read that today, but verse 1 said, in view of God's mercy off your bodies as living sacrifices. The concept there is God's mercy to you has been so incredible, it's just gonna push you to wanna then give yourself to others because Jesus gave himself for you. That's real love. So let's look at it in verses nine through 21. Real love, genuine love. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let me pray and ask the Lord to teach us what this means in our life. There's so much here 
This, this has happened frequently throughout a Roman series where I kind of thought as I was preparing, you know, it'd be really great to do like a six weeks mini series just on this passage. My wife said, no, I can't do that. So we're just going to do one we're just going to do one sermon today. But, but I would, in all seriousness, ask you to, to pray and reread this. There's more for you here than what I'm going to say, right? I'm going to just try to hit some highlights. Uh, but let me pray and ask God to help us see what's most important for us here. God, we pray for your direction. We pray for your spirit to open our eyes to what we need to hear. And, and often what we need to hear is sometimes the stuff we don't want to hear. So God, we, we pray that you would give us open-mindedness, open ears, open hearts, that your spirit would lead us, that we would trust you, and that your word would speak to us and change us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So he starts with the genuine love thing, right? Literally, uh, not hypocritical, not mask wearing. So you don't want to be mask wearing love. And then he follows that with abhor what is evil. Many of you use that word in your, your daily interactions, abhor, right? Like, I abhor that restaurant. Have you ever said that? Raise your hand if you've said that. Okay, a couple of you, yeah. <laughs> a couple of you Bible scholars have said that. It basically means to really, really hate. So it's not just I hate it, but I hate it, hate it, hate it, right? It's like I really, really hate it. So those restaurants that really disgust you, uh, you abhor them, right? And he's saying we should actually hate what is evil. We should truly, not wearing a mask, love. We should love others. We should have genuine love, not fake love, real love. And as a part of that, we should be hating what's evil, So what love is, love is a verb, right? Love is not a feeling. And that's one of the biggest ways we get twisted up and confused in the 21st century is we always kind of fall back to the romantic worldview, which is not the Christian worldview. Romantic worldview makes interesting movies, right? And you should probably take your wife occasionally to a romantic worldview movie. Just know that's not the gospel. And it's also not true in a lot of ways. Um, Love is not just a feeling. It's not a puddle that you trip into that changes your life. Love is something you choose to do for someone. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Love is something you do. And as a part of that, love includes hating what is evil, right? Like if you really love someone, you're going to want to pull them back from the brink of self-destruction as they enter into terrible things. You're going to say, I don't, I don't want you to do that, right? And there's more and less convincing ways to do that. So I'm not arguing how you might persuade someone, but you personally should hate what's evil. You should abhor, abhor it. I can't even say that word. It's a weird word. You should abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. That's part of what real love is. This first section that I want us to focus on, verses 10 through 14, he's going to show us the movement, the, the outward spread of love. So real love, I'm going to argue here, moves. We're going to see a theme coming together. Paul is using a, an unusual rhetorical style here where he's kind of just firing short phrases again and again. I don't know if you noticed that. This is more like how the book of Proverbs is written. It's not how Paul normally does the tightly woven arguments. But you can still, even under that surface of rat-a-tat-tat kind of stuff, you still see themes that bubble up, right? There's still some themes that he's following. One commentator said that this is like Paul tweeting truths about love, right? It's just like little sound bite, little bumper sticker, little fortune cookie, love like this, love like that, you know, boom, boom, boom. But there's this theme in the first section of real love moves. It spreads outward. He's gonna talk about loving for insiders, those of us that are saints, and remember, saint doesn't mean a special person declared by the church to be special. Uh, the biblical word just means set apart by God, and all believers are set apart by God as his children. So when the Bible uses the word saint, it means all Christians. And he says, make sure you love Christians, right? Like, we're family. We've got to take care of each other like family. We've got to know each other and care for each other. And then he says, we also should Love outsiders. Hospitality is a word for showing love to strangers. 
That can mean believers we've never met before, new people coming to the church, or it could be non-believers that don't know the Lord, don't have the same values as us, but it's those that are outside of us, those that don't belong to us, foreigners, strangers, outsiders. That's what the word hospitality means. And then finally, he talks about blessing those who persecute us, right? Like he moves even farther out, not just outsiders, but loving people that are against you. So it's this spread. You see kind of this movement. So let's look at the text again, starting in verse 10 this time. In verse 10, he says, love one another with brotherly affection. So the first word he used when he talked about love being genuine was agape. uh, And a lot of you have probably heard this before. There are four love words in the Greek. And so agape is kind of like the biggest, heftiest, unconditional love word we have in Greek. It's the one most commonly associated with Jesus and his love for us. But there's another word that's real common, and it's brotherly affection. It's the word phileo. You may have heard that before, like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Real sweet people there. Um, So it's this word for kind of caring for someone else, right? Just basic affection, kindness, liking each other. And that's what he's talking about here. Love one another with brotherly affection. So we're not just supposed to love each other in a heavenly way, but we're actually supposed to like each other, right? We're called, we're commanded to like each other, care for each other. And then he says here, giving kind of definition to that, he says, outdo one another in showing honor, right? Outdo one another in showing honor. How can you show honor to someone? How can you lift someone up, give something to them? As I was thinking about this kind of competition to try to outdo someone else to show honor, I was remembering when my kids first started going to school together. And there was this kind of scary transition, this new skill that our first child learned going to school, and that was running to the lunch table and pushing the other kids out of the way so you could get your seat. Did y'all learn that in school? Have you ever done that before, right? And we were like, that's not really how we raised you. You know, like we don't, that's not a skill we want you to learn. Other things, that's fine, but there's this like outdoing one another and like elbowing people to get into just the right seat. We're like, no, we don't, we don't want to do it that way, right? So there is a, there's a sort of elbowing and outdoing and fighting competition here but that's to to give up your seat, right? That's to invite others to your table. That's to honor others, to gift others, to to love other people. So outdo one another, showing honor. That's that's just what Christians should do, right? And we make fun of it when it's in its like cartoon form, Ned Flanders on The Simpsons. You know, it can look kind of silly sometimes, but that is who we are to be, right? Well, not Ned Flanders, but we are to be those that outdo one another, like always deferring and serving and helping and in a competition, pushing others out of the way of kindness, right? Like, no, let me be kind to you. No, let me help you. And we should, we should serve one another in that way. He goes on with this funny little phrase here in verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. What does that mean? How is that even possible? It's kind of an oxymoron, right? Like you can't be slothful and zealous at the same time. So really what he's saying is don't be slothful. He's saying be zealous, Right? Be excited, be fervent. So the next word he's going to use, be aggressive. Again, love is not a feeling that you passively fall into. That's infatuation. And we can argue later about how important that is to a human relationship. But love is something you choose to do. You choose to do this. So actively be zealous. Don't be slothful. Don't just sit on the sidelines. Have you ever watched a sloth? Sloths are making a comeback because of that movie where they're at the DMV, I think. So there's like this kind of resurgence of interest in sloths. They really are that slow. And uh, that's not who you want to be when it comes to loving people. You want to be aggressive when it comes to loving people. And here he gives a clarification to that aggressiveness with this word fervent. Be fervent in spirit. 
Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. What does be fervent in spirit mean? Um, I fixated on this word this week. I just thought it was an interesting word picture that doesn't come out in the English. English translations are great. It gets the main idea. I'm not saying the English translation is bad, but I just feel like there's more in the Greek here. It's this word that's like boiling over. So it's like be churning and boiling and like this spreading fire. It's like be on fire in the spirit. That's what he's saying here. He's commanding us to be on fire in the spirit. I grabbed a picture of a raging fire here. As we think about the spread, the rage of our love, it should be like this unstoppable fire that keeps going out and out and out farther and farther. And so it's really interesting here. He's using a destructive word. It's often used and associated with anger, but he's saying that's what your love should be like. Your love should be like this boiling over pot. It should be like this raging fire. It should, it should burn. And I think we often tend to think of being on fire in the spirit. We tend to think of that based on the culture that we come from, right? So I want you to think about this for yourself. If you grew up in churches, you might come from like a more progressive church background that's really involved in the community. So for you, being on fire, being on fire means being out in the community, right? Social justice, doing these great things out there. And that's what being on fire means. And those things aren't bad, but, but the question is, what does he say being on fire in the spirit means here? Uh, maybe you come from a charismatic background or Pentecostal background. And if you come from that background, you tend to think that being on fire in the spirit, being fervent in the spirit means translation into how you worship, right? Being bodily responsive in worship. And again, that's good. Man, the more you are, the more that encourages those of us around, right? As, as we move and respond with our emotions and our bodies and worship, that's a good thing. But it's, but it's not all that he's saying being on fire in the Spirit means here. If you come from more of a Reformed background or more of a Bible church background, you might think that being fi- on fire in the Spirit means being involved in like five different Bible studies during the week, right? And just reading lots of books, which is kind of funny that you translate being on fire and being by yourself in your room and reading lots of books. But we often think of that as, this kind of, that's what real spirituality is. That's what being on fire in the Spirit is. And again, good things. It's good to study. It's good to learn and understand better the doctrine of who God is. But what does he say being on fire is? Here. Being on fire here, he says, serve the Lord. Be fervent. Be on fire in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. So he says, being on fire in the spirit really translates into how we love those around us. And it starts with our personal uh, up and down who we are in Christ, right? Those first few words are an echo of the language he used in Romans 8. So he said, serve the Lord. And then he gives like three things in a row in verse 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. That hope and then endurance or patience and then prayer, that, that movement is the same kind of movement he took us through in Romans 8. My favorite chapter in the Bible, hands down. Romans 8 is this mountaintop view of how good God is to us, and how much he loves us and how amazing that is and how God's goodness to us is what enables us to endure the, the crumminess of life right now because we're looking forward to the the renewal of all things, the completion of what God started for us in the gospel. And so he, he walks back through that, like he's echoing what he said in Romans 8 here. He's saying we've got this hope and patience and prayer 
And then he says, and those things in our personal lives, that kind of fervency translates into loving people. It looks like us taking care of other people, contribute to the needs of the saints, insiders, but also seek to show hospitality. Outsiders, and not just outsiders that are nice, but outsiders that are mean, right? And he keeps going into verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, bless, and do not curse them. So our love should be this like raging fire that keeps moving out. I'd ask you just to think through in your own life those categories. How, how are you doing loving the saints that God's put around you, right? There, there are fellow believers. If you're a believer that's around you, how are you doing loving those people? If you're not a believer, just thinking about how am I doing loving family? What does that look like for me to love family, teammates, people that belong to me? Do I love them well? Sometimes we love the people closest to us the worst, right? Because we feel like we can presume upon them and take advantage of them. It says we should take care of each other's needs if we see each other as family, especially if we see each other as family in Christ. And then he moves out to strangers. How do you do loving strangers? So literally, the word hospitality is uh, brotherly affection plus foreigner, right? So those two words put together, stranger love, foreigner love. Do we love outsiders? Whether they believe the same things as us or not, do we love those who don't love us? In the first century context, it had a connotation of cooking meals and putting people up for the night because that was a tangible way to love people in the first century. And I would say, be careful not to say that is hospitality, right? Hospitality is showing care for outsiders. Maybe they need a meal. Maybe they don't need a meal, right? If we're all fat and happy, like don't say giving a meal is showing hospitality. They might need something else, right? What what is it that we need? Be aware of the needs of other people. I'd ask you to pray that God would give you insight because sometimes we don't see it, right? Especially in our culture, we tend to hide our needs sometimes and we don't really share them with each other. So pray that God would give you a closeness and an openness with people, even people you don't know that well, so that you can see their needs and then seek to serve those needs, to care for people and take care of those people. That's what we should be marked by. And then finally, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. We don't like that, right? It's going farther and farther out. You'll hear... If you're familiar with the Gospels, these are echoes of Jesus' words. This is in the Scriptures that we should be the kinds of people that don't just love those who love us back, and we get a reward for that, but we love those who don't love us in return. We love those who have shown negative things to us, been enemies to us. Who are enemies in your life that God may be asking you to love, to bless in specific ways? What are ways you could show affection, kindness, service to those people? And I don't just mean like enemies, like people that are shooting at you. I mean, how could you show kindness to someone, might think of it this way, who really bugs you, right? There's there's people in your life, I see you frowning, there's people in your life that just really bug you, right? They just drive you crazy. And sometimes it's helpful to know why, like, God, why do they bug me so much? Maybe it's because they're so much like me, right? I don't know what it is, but you may not even need to know why, but ask the Lord to give you grace to show kindness to them, to to love them, to serve them? How can you share the gospel through your actions? We we share the gospel through our words, for sure, but we also share the gospel in the way that we act, the way that we serve those around us. Pray that God would give you an awareness, eyes to see, and you might be overwhelmed. You might be the kind of person that naturally sees needs already, and so I'm kind of like piling guilt on you right now. Just say, God, help me know where to start, Okay. Like you may be one of those people with a high antenna, radar, like you see needs all the time. God, where do I start? Because I can't do everything, right? God, show me who to start with. This week, what do I do do next? 
The next thing I want us to see is that real love, it doesn't just move outward, but real love feels. Real love feels. Now, those of you that are not feelers, I just want to beg you to hang with me here, okay? Because I have some factual doctrinal truth for you here, okay? That God wants you, by the truth, to express feelings of love to other people. He's going to give us very specific instructions here, uh, and I want you to check this out. Look at verse 15 and verse 16. Real love feels. Verse 15, he gives the specifics. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, I would argue that Paul's really calling us to to share emotion when it's the full gamut of emotion with other people, right? Um, Other emotions as well. But he's he's just sticking with two big ones here, and so we'll just focus on those. Uh, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And then he's going to explain here how that works. And he's going to use thinking words, which is really interesting. So he's attacking this feeling thing with thinking words, okay? So thinkers, did you just wake back up? He's going to tell you that how you think enables you to feel. And often, if you've taken like Myers-Briggs, right, it's like, well, which are you? Are you a thinker or a feeler? Well, God's actually designed us so we're the spaghetti bowl of all these things. But some of us tend to like one more than the other, right? Some of us tend to be more suspicious of one than the other. But again, Paul's, Paul's pulling them together here. He's saying your thinking translates into feelings. Look at this in verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Um, the word harmony and then the wise in your own sight words, it's really interesting and, and haughty there and harmony with one another. All these words he's piling on, he's actually using the same Greek root, which is think. And so a way I could restate this, being really literal, is um, don't think uh, or do think oneness with, it, with each other. Don't think higher than other people. So the harmony thing is think oneness. Think I am the same as them. Don't think I am better than them. That's basically what he's saying there. Just as, as simple as possible. So where is your thinking? How do you think about reality and who you are? Now, Paul's already laid this out. He's already done a hard job trying to convince you of his doctrine of humanity, that all human beings are sinners that need God's grace. So if he hasn't convinced you of that yet, I'd encourage you to go back and reread Romans 1 through 3, right? And he clarifies that those of us that grew up in wild living, we are sinners that need grace. And those of us that grew up religious, thinking we were doing everything right, we're also sinners that need God's grace. So he says all humans are really the same. And so we keep that in mind, and that helps us relate to other people. That helps us to show grace to other people in their time of need. And one of the specific ways we show grace to other people, because we don't think we're better than them, we don't think we're wise in our own eyes, is we actually reflect their emotions back to them. If someone's grieving, you grieve with them. I grabbed a picture here of some people grieving at a funeral. Part of what a funeral is, is a planned social event where we gather together and we purpose to grieve together. We share grief with another person. As Christians, we also celebrate the hope that we have in the resurrection. But these are purposeful and helpful events for us to actually share emotion with other people, and that's one of the ways that we show love. We show love through our feelings. Feelings are not all bad, right? Can our feelings run crazy? 
that need to be checked? Well, yeah, of course, right? But that doesn't mean we have to be afraid of them. It's actually a gift we can use. You can reflect joy back to someone who's celebrating, and you can reflect sadness back to someone who's sad. I struggle with this in some ways. In some ways, this is super easy for me. It's easy for me to uh, share in emotions with other people. In other ways, specifically like with sadness, like I just, I'm not good at crying, right? So here it says literally weep with those who weep. Well, if you're weeping, I'm, I'm probably going to say something to you like, I'm, I'm sorry, and I'm sad with you, and I can see why you're sad, right? There are ways to do that even if you're not a good crier, right? My wife is a much better crier. If you want someone to cry with you, she'll, she'll literally cry with you, right? Um, but I think depending on your emotional range, uh, you, you may not actually have water falling out of your eyes, but you can reflect emotions back to people, right? You can reflect feelings back to people. Some of us are better at this than others, but it's just a simple thing we're all called to, right? Someone else is sad, you can say, oh yeah, I'm like them. I'm also a human being that lives in this broken world. I'm not above them. I'm not wiser than them. I'm not better than them. I also would be sad if my house burned down or if I lost someone I loved or if I was going through this difficulty. And you can reflect those feelings back to them in conversation and in sharing with them and being with them in their time of sadness. Also rejoicing, right? Um, rejoicing, celebrating with someone. If, if you're a Christian that believes you have all things in Christ, then that gives you this freedom to not be like a needy orphan that's mad every time someone gets something good, right? When your neighbor gets something good and you feel this, oh, my life stinks, I need something good, right? And I felt it too. That's because we're not fully appreciating all the grace that we have in Jesus. When we know all that Jesus has given us, we have this abundance of this, this feeling and ability to say, that's awesome that you got a good thing. Let's celebrate together God's kindness to us. So real love feels. We reflect these feelings back to each other. Often it's just in what you say. Often it's the time that you give to people. Often it's um, allowing people to go there. As Christians, as parents, we, we find this a lot as our kids are transitioning to adulthood. Uh, we have to kind of like, give them more and more personal space, right? Let them be their own person. Um, As Christians and as parents, and maybe if you're a teacher, maybe you're a commander, in a lot of these roles, we have this habit of correcting and redirecting people, right? And with feelings, Paul's saying, hold on, slow down, put the brakes on. Don't redirect their feelings, just give them a moment to let them have their feelings. And a great example of this in our worship life is the Psalms. I just encourage you to read the book of Psalms and see that pattern where there is movement from grief to celebration, but you've got to go through the grief to get to the celebration, right? We have to allow each other to have those feelings. We don't want to stay there forever, but we want to go there with people. Again, if you're secure in Christ, and if you can think properly about yourself, that enables you to go into that scary world of feelings. I'm I'm pressing you non-feelers a little bit here. It's a scary, out-of-control world, right? You can go there with people if you know that you're safe in Jesus. All right, final point. Real love conquers. Real love conquers. One of my favorite uh, quotes by Switchfoot, a great band, is that love is the final fight, right? Like that's the last great battle that we're called to right now. That's the final battle. Uh, Let's read about this in verses 17 through 21. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. There, again, to see that crack, he's implying sometimes you can't live peaceably with each other, right? But you're going to try real hard. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, 
But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For if I, by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, as I understand the heaping burning coals on someone's head, this is not a motivation of like, this is how you will destroy them, by loving them, right? Like, I don't think that's really what he's saying. Um, Burning coals are often in the Old Testament a sign of repentance, um, often a sign of judgment. So I think it's, you will actually help them to see their need for change, is, is how I would understand this. There's Commentators have different views on that, but I think that's the, just kind of a big picture. Uh, you know, sometimes in the Old Testament, when they would be sad about something, they'd tear their garments and they'd put ash on their head. It would be like a process of grieving. So I believe that's, that's kind of what's talking about here. You could also think of it as like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You've got, you know, fire and brimstone raining down from heaven. That's a judgment concept. But again, your desire is not their destruction. Your desire would be to see their repentance, to see them walk with Jesus and to find hope there. And and the way you can achieve that is not being their, their judge and executioner, but actually by showing love and showing kindness to them. So that's part of the process of how you help people to see the truth is by showing them love. It's not, it's not out of revenge. It's not like he says, don't take revenge. Let God do that. But here's a great way to take revenge, right? Love them. He's, he's saying, no, don't, don't take revenge. Let, let God take care of the vengeance. He's quoting the Old Testament, and this is repeated throughout the scriptures in many different ways. We're trusting, Miroslav Volf has written a lot on this subject, we're trusting that God is just, right? This is not a uh, throwing out of justice. And again, remember, I've said this many times, throughout Romans, Paul has been laying this case that it's not unjust for Jesus to save evil people like you and me. He's actually just in the way he shows us his mercy. So I think we get all twisted up about this. We think there was like justice God in the Old Testament. Now he's mercy God and mercy has nothing to do with justice. And they're like two totally different things. Well, no, they, they work together in the cross. And so what this gospel concept that we've been hitting again and again in Romans is, is that God is showing judgment and vengeance on our sin by pouring out his wrath on his son. And Jesus was justly judged for our sin. God got to make that choice. And so there will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day of judgment. There will be a a fire and a burning and a damnation and all those old-fashioned things that we don't like to think about. There will be judgment. And we will either be judged in eternity or we will be judged on the cross with Jesus. But there is justice. There is judgment for sin. And so uh, another thing that then gets translated is how can Paul be arguing Here in chapter 12, that we shouldn't take vengeance, but then in chapter 13, he's saying, but if you're a soldier, that's cool, take vengeance. Like, how can both of those be true? And I would say, really, when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus saying similar things here, and when you look here, and Paul laying this right next to Romans chapter 13, what we see is, that's not how the church operates. The church is the the machinery of God's grace in the world. We are Jesus's body. We are his hands and feet, and so we are bringing his message of the cross, his message of forgiveness, his message of grace. So we will never accomplish our goals with bullets and with vengeance and with justice. As the church, we will accomplish our goals by God's grace, through love. Love will conquer. I I grabbed a picture here. Uh, This is from the Mel Gibson movie. Uh, We Were Soldiers, I think is what it's called. He's 
bringing people to charge. A lot of you are in the military, and we'll see in Romans 13 that you have a legitimate role of bringing God's justice in the world. And Paul blesses that. And the scriptures affirm that God uses police and he uses soldiers to bring God's justice in the world. I would argue even that that rolls out to being a dad, right? I see myself as a man of peace, as someone who brings love as a pastor, right? But if someone messes with my family, I, I would put on my soldier hat real quick, right? Like I have different spheres of responsibility. Now this gets confusing because if, if you are hardcore on one side or the other, you prefer a black and whiteness where you always know how to act, right? And I would say it's hard sometimes to know which hat you're wearing and how to operate when God calls us to grace, but you're also a soldier during the week. Like, it's hard to know, well, which am I? Am I an agent of God's wrath or am I an agent of love and mercy and grace? Well, I said the church's responsibility is always to be an agent of God's grace and God's mercy. We are to bless those who persecute us. We are to show love and not repay evil with evil, and we are to leave the vengeance up to God. Then sometimes God calls us into these other roles. If you're still confused, and I am sometimes too, maybe we need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us. Ask God to give us supernatural wisdom, because somehow Romans 12 is true, and somehow Romans 13 is true at the same time. And we'll talk about it more as we look at Romans 13 in the next few weeks. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Again, Miroslav Volf says, the only way that you can give grace to someone who has mistreated you is if you really believe that judgment is coming, that God's going to take care of it. That's what he's saying. Again, it's not a non-justice system. He's saying, God's going to take care of it so I can trust God to take care of me, so I can show grace in this difficult circumstance. My question for you is, who, again, we saw this earlier with the blessed those who persecute you, who are the enemies in your life that you would like very much to take vengeance on, but God is calling you to show some sort of grace to, to show some sort of love to. Because he's saying, ultimately, love will conquer. Jesus is going to win this war, and we're a part of Jesus' work in the world, and he's going to do it through our love as we love and bless others. (coughs) Well, as we wrap up, we started with this picture he had in verse 9 of real love not being mask-wearing, It's not fake. You're not an actor. It's something real. And so you might be asking yourself the question, well, if it's always supposed to be real, does that mean when I don't feel like it, I don't love people, right? And I would say, no, I think when you don't feel like it, when you recognize that you're not wearing the right face, when you don't feel like loving someone, you should still take actions of love. Remember, love is something you do. It's not something you feel. But you should repent that your feelings don't match what you're doing. And so you take actions of love, and you say, Jesus, fill me up so that I would really see the love in you, which would help me to truly feel and love them in my actions. And I want to just close with this great passage from 2 Corinthians 4. As we think about the face that we show to the world, this passage talks about the face of Jesus. It says, For God who said, "Let let light shine out of darkness, he has shown in our hearts. So the God that gave light in the darkness, he gives light in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So if you're worried about your own motivations, if you're worried about your own heart, your own feelings, I would say that the quickest way to get your heart right is to stare not at your own face in a mirror, but to look at the face of Jesus. That's where we see the light 
and the glory of this God who has shown us grace through the cross, who's taken our sin, who's given us resurrection power. We see it in the face of Jesus. Let me pray, and then we'll respond and worship together. God, we thank you that you loved us so much. You gave us your son, and we thank you that you are using us in your plan in this world. We recognize it as a, a world of brokenness and pain and bitterness and vengeance, and we confess that we've been a part of that. So God, we pray that you would make us new and that you would use us as agents of your grace in this world. We're so weary of the work of wrath. We're so weary of the work of justice. Pray that you would use us to show others your goodness and your kindness to us, the grace that you have for us in Jesus, and that you would make us a new people. Pray that you would do all this for Jesus' sake. Amen.